Hello and welcome to Moving Kentucky Forward, our podcast where we interview elected officials and candidates. This week we are pleased to interview Congressman Morgan McGarvey representing the 3rd District of Kentucky in Washington in the House of Representatives. Congressman McGarvey has long been a friend of Forward Kentucky and we were really glad to catch up with him and hear what he had to say about his experience in Washington, D.C. and how it might differ from what he experienced in Frankfurt. Let's hear from Congressman McGarvey. So we're here today with Congressman Morgan McGarvey, who is representing Kentucky's 3rd District in Washington in the House of Representatives. Congressman McGarvey, welcome to Moving Kentucky Forward. Hey, thanks, Bruce. It's good to be back and happy Halloween. Yes. And it was interesting when I was talking with your staff about when we could schedule this, they suggested today. And I said, well, considering how the House of Representatives has been, Halloween might be an appropriate day. That's exactly right. And just like uh, a lot of what's been going on in Washington, our youngest child is not yet in school. She's still at Highland Press. So they have the day off today. My wife's at work. I have her here right now, right in the other room. So I'm still taking care of children. And also when you're in Washington. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. So, you know, there's the typical questions. Uh, you were uh, elected, uh, let's see, 22. Is that right? Uh, mm-hmm. So you're, you're a newbie up there in the house. Um, uh, I, am always intrigued with what people, uh, first impressions are always interesting. So what has been your first impression of the work and the whole experience for the past so many months? Well, my first impression in this instance, I think is like a lot of people's first impression because we are dealing with truly historic stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the first time in 150 years, it took us 15 ballots to elect a speaker in Kevin McCarthy. Uh, For the first time in the history of our country, we got rid of that same speaker in the middle of his term. And so uh, it has been a crazy time to start in Washington uh, with everything that's going on. But my overall impression outside of the dysfunction, I think that's dominated the headlines. I love the place. Mm. I love the job. Uh, I I love being a legislator. You know, yeah. I was in the state Senate for 10 years before running for Congress, um, was minority leader in the state Senate for four of those years. Love that give and take, really enjoy being able to try and solve problems, to help people out, to do the constituent services work. And, and now it's not the same. It is certainly not the same as Frankfurt. And, and we can talk about some of the pluses and minuses. I think there, mm-hmm. there's some, some things I liked better about Frankfurt, some things I liked better about Washington. Um, but what I do tell people is that that state legislative experience was good training. It was training wheels for what we're doing in Washington. Uh, it's helped me navigate some of the inside fights. It's helped me navigate some of the dysfunction. You know, like in, in Frankfurt, where I, I fully believe you should stand up for what you believe in. You should fight for your constituents, but you should always work to get things done. Uh, I took that approach to Washington, and now I am the first and only freshman Democrat who's passed a bill through the United States House of Representatives, even amid all of the dysfunction right now. So um, we're working hard. It's a different pace. I tell Mm -hmm. people that Washington moves at a frenetically glacial pace. We go, 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 go every day. I'm I'm never uh, home, you know, past about 630 in the morning. I'm never home earlier than about 10 o'clock at night. We go all the time. 
what do we do every day? Yeah, what do we do every day? I know, you know that that's a harder question to answer. But when we do things, when we do, we can do big things, and right. that's the difference. Frenetically glacial—that's that is a great phrase. Yeah. Um, okay, so what's the bill that you got passed? Uh, and I don't—I don't care if it's naming a post office. Just what was it? No, although we want to do that. Uh, we, we do want to. There's some post offices that can be named in Louisville. No, uh, I'm on the Veterans Committee, and a mm. lot of your legislative work does come from your committee assignments. One of the things I like about the Veterans Committee, it is still one of those places in Washington where you see people getting along. Mm. Uh, let's, let's be honest. If we can't agree that we need to take care of the men and women who put on a uniform to keep all of us safe and serve us, then we're going to have trouble finding agreement on anything else. So one of the bills that I propose this year is as we're seeing more veterans come through now, we, we had 20 years of war. Um, and as we see more and more veterans come through, more and more veterans are qualifying for their benefits. We mm. want to make sure that they get those benefits and particularly with their education benefits in the GI Bill that they're not being taken advantage of. You see mm. a lot of scams out there. You see a lot of the for-profit colleges. You see other entities that, that know the veterans have these benefits and they get all of them. So we passed a bill that protects those uh, benefits for the veterans and, and make sure that they're able to hold on to what they have and able to use it in a way that, that most benefits them. That's excellent. Um, so tell me, I, you know, there's a whole range of things you could say, but tell me two or three of the biggest differences between Washington and Frankfurt, good or bad? Yeah, uh, number one, scale. And I, I tell people this all the time, it's it's the scale. And yeah, of course, look, it's in Washington. Yes, it's the federal budget. But I mean, just the people. There were 38 members of the state Senate in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. There are 400 more people than that in the House of Representatives. Uh, so there's 213. Well, there there's 212 right now. There will be 213 uh, when when there's a special election to fill David Cicilline's seat, who was a Democrat, retired. Just like the Republicans are down one right now for a Republican seat, they'll get that seat back. We're going to take a Democrat seat. So, you know, 213 to 222 is, is going to be the margin. When there are 213 Democrats, when we think about that, um, that's 75 more people than are in the entirety of the Kentucky General Assembly, House and Senate, Democrat and Republican combined. Right. So it is that scale, and that scale results in different sorting mechanisms than we had in Frankfurt. Hmm. Frankfurt, believe it or not, is, is not a largely seniority-based body. You, you can sort of advance very quickly. It's not a do-nothing legislature. When you're there, you are constantly passing laws. Right. Washington moves at a little slower pace, and, and you have to sort differently. With that many people, you just find ways to sort. One of them is seniority. Um, so you know, even though we're working hard, it, I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm a first term member of Congress, mm -hmm. you know, and if you stand up in caucus to say something, you've got to be aware that there's people who's been who've been there for 30 years, uh, who've seen a lot of freshman legislators come and go. And so it's being thoughtful, trying to do things the right way, looking for that long game you know, to make sure that, that we're building our office and our reputation in the way that best serves the people of Louisville. What in the time you've been there? What one thing or event has made you the angriest? Oh, man. That's a difficult question, well, uh, Bruce, because, you know, but I, I think it's I think it's really watching the stranglehold 
that Donald Trump and the extremists in the Republican Party still have over how they govern. Mm. We watched it with the speaker election. We watched it with the debt ceiling. We watched it with the government potentially shutting down and now potentially getting ready to shut down again. We watched it with how they got rid of McCarthy and then how they couldn't even select a speaker within their own body. Mm-hmm. And I know this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but, but I think that's okay for, for you and your audience. You know, this is how the place works. The majority chooses the speaker and how they do that, how they do it, how they did it in Frankfurt, how they do it in Washington is you go behind closed doors mm-hmm. with the members of the caucus and you have an election and whoever wins that election is then supported by the rest of the caucus on the floor for the position. Mm-hmm. Um, look, that's, that's how we did it. We didn't do it on the floor, but that's, that's how we do it for minority leader. Uh, you know, that's how we did it in Frankfurt. You, you win with the members of that body. That's mm-hmm. who elects the people or the members of the body. And it's a position within the body. You watch this last speaker election. Steve Scalise won the majority of his conference. Mm-hmm. He beat Jim Jordan. And then Jordan supporters just came right out and said, we're not going to support you ever. We're not going to abide by these rules. So Scalise has to drop out. Then they put Jordan forward, which I thought was an extraordinary move. And I'm glad they didn't let that go through because imagine that, right? The minority then, uh, and again, the extremists, the minority is really holding the majority hostage and saying, mm-hmm. oh, we're not going to do this. We're going to have our guy. Fortunately, the, the more traditional wing of the Republican Party stood up to that attack. But then it resulted in Jordan winning and becoming the speaker designee and, and then not electing him. Uh, and then you, you go to Mike Johnson, who, who I think is Jim Jordan with a jacket. Uh, and so, you know, you've watched that dysfunction and it comes from Trumpism. It comes from this extremism. Uh, it, it comes from these constant attacks, the, not the desire to govern. You know, throughout that whole process, Democrats continued to offer a bipartisan path forward, a way for McHenry to maybe be a temporary speaker, a way for potentially McCarthy to hold on to his speakership. Uh, we were looking for those bipartisan paths forward. The Republicans wanted nothing to do with it. They favored dysfunction and chaos over the functioning of government. Uh, and that but makes even, me angry. Even the ones who might have favored a bipartisan approach were mm-hmm. terrified to step out and do that because they knew they'd get primary. That's right. And it, it only would have taken five. That's the that, that's the scary part. You, know, you talk about what frustrates me, what makes me mad. It would have taken five. Uh, they didn't have five who were willing to step out and do that. Um, and I hope, I really hope, it hasn't happened yet. That's why the 24 elections are so important. I, I hope the fever of Trumpism breaks in this country. That's not to say that, that we're all going to agree. In fact, we're not going to agree. Um, but to me, bipartisanship doesn't mean to agree. It means that willingness to listen. It mm-hmm. means that willingness to sit down. It means that willingness to try to solve the problems where we can. Even admit that we have the same problem. We might disagree on the solutions, but let's admit that we have a problem that needs solving. Uh, and Donald Trump, I mean, we see is, is just not interested in that. And he is influencing everyone uh, from, from the Senate, the House, down to state legislatures. And, and that type of chaos, it's not good for, it's not good for us as Americans. It's not good for our government. It's not good for our standing in the world. And, and I hope that, that we can finally start to break that fever of Trumpism. But when I watch it play out 
in real time on the floor of the house with people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. It, it, it makes me angry because I know that we are better than that. One of the things that I've been considering or thinking about is why, why are we where we are? And one of the key reasons I think is gerrymandering. Uh, if you've got people who have an absolutely safe seat, the only people they have to appeal to is the base. And the more extreme they get, the more they can appeal sometimes to that base. I I have been fascinated by you, what you just said. They don't want to govern. Uh, right. I, 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 you know, Steve Bannon was famous for saying we need to burn the whole thing down or blow the whole thing up or whatever. And some of them. Uh, seem to be following that rhetoric. It's like, no, we don't care about doing anything except causing chaos and dysfunction. And and frankly, I am scared to death about another government shutdown in two weeks or whatever it is. Uh, and, and I think it's, to your point, yes, gerrymandering is absolutely there. But think about when they say they want to burn the place down, then they also want to deny the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be, I still would violently disagree with, with the strategy. I don't like this dysfunction. It's not good for all the reasons I've just said, but you know, if they were being honest about the results of their actions, you know, at least, at least you could talk rationally about it. The government shutdown was a great example. You know, for, for instance, my brother's active duty military right now, he is serving uh, forwardly deployed over in the middle East. His family's back here in the States. Um, if we had shut the government down on September 30th, it would have been a total shutdown. Mm -hmm. No appropriations bills had been passed. That means that in a couple of weeks, none of those troops would have gotten paychecks. None of their families would have gotten paychecks. Our Homeland Security, our TSA. A and some of the Republicans actually realized that was true. But I think the Steve Bannons of the world, like you're talking about, they never discussed that. And if it had happened, I promise you, they would have somehow blamed the Democrats, even though they were out there actively saying, we want to burn it down. We want to touch the stove. We want to shut the government down. That's, that's what they were saying. Um, and they're, then they're being dishonest about the consequences of that. And, and, and that's just you know people who are employed, not to mention all the, the women and children in Kentucky who would have lost uh, benefits, who, mm -hmm. you know, our seniors who, who would have, it just, it, it would have been a very bad thing. Um, and they weren't even telling the truth about it. I've always been, uh, we've always heard about Democrats in disarray. That's just sort of like a nice alliterative headline that you get to see often. I've been impressed with the fact that it's not been true as far as I can tell. And people talk about the divisions within the Republicans in the House. I'm sure that if we sat and pulled everybody's opinions, we'd have lots of different divisions in the Democratic caucus as well. Uh, but but that hasn't been the, the case. Why is that? Why are, are the Democrats able? Is it just because they're in the minority or is it because so there's no power to be had? Or is it really truly some sort of overarching belief or principle? But for the first sort of uh, political answer, Yes, <laughs> to all of your questions a little bit, right? You know, it, it's, um, I don't think it's one thing in particular. Mm. Um, I, I do think it is easier to be unified in the minority 
than in the majority, just mm-hmm. as, a, as a matter of principle. So I think that does play into it. But you're exactly right. There's 213 Democrats from all over the country, from all sorts of different districts. Um, we look, our caucus looks like America. And, and look, there are people who have really sincerely held beliefs that don't match up with everybody else's. But there is, I, I think, an overarching principle which does come in to the Democratic discussion that, that doesn't go in as much to, to what we're seeing from the, the MAGA wing of, of the extreme Republican Party. And that is, at the end of the day, our job is as legislators. That means our job is to help make government work for people. And that's an underpinning of the Democratic caucus that I think everybody shares. And as sort of we've talked about already this morning, that is not at the core, particularly of some of the extremists in the Republican Party. And so when you're having these conversations, go back to the debt ceiling. Look how many Republicans voted against the debt ceiling and how many of them wanted to default our country's debt. Let's remember what the debt ceiling is. Right now, we're talking about the budget. That's where the spending of the United States is considered. And you know what? We should have real talks about spending and about debt and about deficit. That's where you do it in the budget. The debt ceiling is what you have to raise for the money you have already appropriated and spent. Right. It's just like it's just like your credit card. If you go out and you buy a whole bunch of people stuff for Christmas, and then you get the credit card in January, right? You've already bought the gifts, you've already given them away, and now you get the credit card. So you have to, you have to pay it because it's what you owe. Right. And if the United States defaults on its debt, uh, there are real economic costs to that in the in the near and short term. Then there's the long term. There are countries out there who do not want the dollar to be the predominant currency in the world. Mm-hmm. And if the United States is defaulting on its debt, some of our some of those countries who are, are not naturally our allies are going to be pointing that out and undermining our uh, standing uh, on, on the global stage. And so, you know, the Republicans were willing to default on our debt. And at the end of the day, the Democrats were trying to negotiate something that would work. But in those conversations, we're saying, we can't be the ones who default on our debt for the first time in history. It was more of a responsible governing approach. And I think that's what you see. So yeah, it's easier in the minority. Yes, there's a big diversity of opinion. It's not that it's all kumbaya in the Democratic caucus all the time, but we do understand the importance of making government work for the American people. And that is at the core of what we do. So let me ask you a couple of more personal questions. And, and obviously, you may not want to answer some of this, but how well do you get along with the other five representatives from Kentucky? Uh, I'm happy to answer. I'll tell you, it made me think when you said that. I was just on Pod Save America mm-hmm. last Saturday night, and they, they played a game called I Drink the Fifth, where they brought out glasses of bourbon for everyone to try, and then they asked, they asked questions. And if you didn't want to answer the question, you had to take a drink. You know, when oh, you wow. said that, it made, it made me think of it. Uh, I, I answered, I had another event after that, so I answered everything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, we get along really well. And I think that's something you don't see. Uh, we do get along well. Andy Barr and I are co-chairs of the Bourbon Caucus. Um, Brett Guthrie, you know, it's not, it's not that we agree on all the issues. Brett Guthrie might be one of the nicest guys in all of Washington, mm. um, you know, I've known Jamie Comer since I was in Frankfurt. Hal Rogers, the dean of the delegation. Um, sometimes I'll go and, and sit down to him, especially 
with all the stuff that's been going on recently, I've gone and, and sat next to him just to say, what do you think about all this? You, you know, you've seen everything for the last 40 years. What do you think about this? Um, and, you know, even uh, Thomas Massey and I get along and it doesn't mean we agree on everything, but, but find ways to be friendly. And at the end of the day, I think that's a, a good thing for the state to have the, the congressional delegation at least be friendly, even though I know I'm in a much different position than they are uh, politically. Um, but it helps, I think, to, to try and, and get along where we can. All right. So that's good to hear. Uh, are there members of the House that you just cannot abide? <laughs> and and you don't have to name names, but I'm I'm just thinking of a couple of people that I would be like, I, I don't know, I, I I could not even think about talking with them. I guess so. Yeah. How how does that work for you? Well, first of all, you know, remember, um, I've been there ten months. There's 435 members of the house. I think back to my high school class at Manual High School, mm. and we were about that size in my high school class and manual high school. And at the end of four years, I'm not sure I knew everybody in my high school class. So I, I truly don't know everybody in the house yet. Um, and, and I'm working on that, but yeah, there's some people I've run across, uh, as you can imagine that their public persona matches their private persona. <laughs> and, and it's, they're, they're not all that pleasant publicly and they're not all that pleasant privately. I'll also tell you there, there's some people who have a public persona, that is one way. And then you get in the elevator with them or you see them in the house gym in the morning and they couldn't be nicer. Um, and, and that's, that's hard to square. It's mm -hmm. almost easier when, when somebody who's mean on social media and mean on Fox news and mean on OAN is mean in the hallway. And I go, okay, well that, that tracks, sure. um, yeah. you know, yeah. but then you see somebody who's, who's all over social media and, and, you know, being kind of a jerk. And then you, you see them in the, in the hallway and, they're asking, how are your kids doing? Hey, how are things going today? And like, um, wait a second, this is. So do you have much talk, discussion, meetings with anybody in the Senate? Do you and McConnell and Rand Paul ever talk? Or is that sort of a whole separate thing? Um, again, I, I'll say yes to both. Um, yes, it is a whole separate thing. And, and um, the, the line down the middle of the Capitol is, is real. Um, mm. I also think that has a little bit to do with just where I am in seniority right now and, and, and what committees I'm on. Sure. Um, and, uh, we do work with McConnell's office. We do work with Rand Paul's office, particularly on constituent services issues. One thing we've got coming up in the very near future are the appointments to the military and service academies. Mm -hmm. We work closely with their offices on those because we want the most qualified kids from Kentucky to get those slots. And every kid who gets a nomination. We want to make sure they're accepted. So, you know, there, there are people who are applying with all of our offices. We don't all want to appoint the same person and then have each one of us take up a slot for one of Kentucky's kids. So, right. you know, we, we really do work together on things like that, things like passports. Um, I've talked to, to both Senator McConnell and Senator Paul since being in Washington in person, um, talk about different things that are going on in Kentucky. So we try to keep those lines of communication open uh, as best as possible. But, but yes, I mean, on a day-to-day -day basis, we are not focused on the Senate where I am in the house. It's more a focus on the house. So my almost last question, uh, is do you have anything you want to share about the new speaker? 
Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I think like a lot of people, I had to Google who he was uh, mm-hmm. when it was announced that he might be the front runner. And, and uh, I said that on Pod Save America. They said, do you know Mike Johnson? I said, no, I didn't know who he was before last week. But don't get me wrong. He didn't know me either. Uh, so this is not you know, this is not a, a slight at all. I really didn't know him. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of the things I've read and have heard uh, and even some of the comments he's made since becoming speaker are troubling to me. Um, we have uh, we have a legislative branch in, in government. It's important to me that that legislative branch functions. Um, it's important that we maintain a separation of church and state. It's important that we don't use government um, you know, in a way that I think that is, is truly uh, vindictive or mean to people. Uh, my hope is now that we have a speaker, we've got a lot of work to do. And the, the role of the speaker of the House is they're partisan. They're part of a party, whether it's a Democratic speaker or Republican speaker, they, they're elected by the members of their party. And, and that's what they're there for. They, they have a core set of beliefs. But the speaker is also that their job is to run the institution mm-hmm. as well. And so let's, I'll always be an optimist. Let's see how he does as speaker. Let's give him a chance to, to try and run the institution. Um, but, you know, already there, there've been some things I think that there are certainly, if past his prologue, there's some signs of concern. Mm. So is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I have not asked you? No, you've, uh, this has been great. And I, I love to, I do love talking about the personal aspect of it. Um, it's, it has been such a wonderfully fulfilling job. We've got a great team. It's, it's been interesting going from Frankfurt where, you know, I had not even a staff of one. I shared a staffer with, with another senator uh, and to now having a team, you know, a team of close to 20 people, both in Louisville and in Washington, where we're, we're trying to row together towards the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's neat. Uh, there's no other way to say it. When I walk out of the front of the Longworth, house office building and round that corner uh, there on, on independence Avenue and see the dome of the United States Capitol. Um, if I ever lose the feeling that I have now, when I see the United States Capitol, when I walk onto the floor, I'm coming home. Um, it is, it's a really neat thing to do. Uh, and something I truly enjoy. I took a tour uh, no, it wasn't a tour. I was on my own. I got a pass into the Capitol building from uh, John Yarmouth's office. And it was interesting because once I got in, I just wandered around. You know, they didn't they didn't stop me. So I was just able to sort of wander around and I went into the balcony of the house and just sat there. It was empty. Nobody was in there. And I just sat there and looked at that and thought about all the history in that room. And do you have that feeling? I mean, you walk in and go, wow, look, look where I am. I do. I mean, even, even just the carpet, you know, the carpet that you've seen on TV, that, uh, that unmistakable uh, blue with the pattern mm-hmm. um, to be there to, to recognize. And you saw it. It's not as big as a lot of people think it is. Oh no, no. Um, and, and, you know, to be there on a daily basis and then to be there for something like the state of the union uh, is just it's, I said, if I ever lose the feeling of awe and inspiration, uh, then it's time for me to come home. Sure. Congressman Morgan McGarvey, representing Louisville, Metro Louisville, 3rd District, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Uh, I want to say that 
I think you are in the exact right spot. Thanks. I'm Thank very pleased that you're the person representing us in Washington. And I foresee, I hope, a long and productive career. And I'm excited to be able to talk to you in the first year of it. Well, thank you. Always great to talk with you, Bruce. And I'm confident I'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. All right. That was Congressman Morgan McGarvey, who represents the 3rd District from Kentucky in the U.S. House of Representatives. I want to thank Congressman McGarvey for his time, for making time in his schedule for the interview, and for the insightful answers that he gave to many things. I also thank him for sharing some of his personal notes about his experience. I want to encourage you to click the subscribe button below and subscribe to our channel. We have three different playlists. This one, Moving Kentucky Forward, where we interview elected officials and candidates. The State of Kentucky, where we interview experts, analysts, reporters, so on and so forth. And then Bruce's take, which, as you might guess, is my opinion and insights on the political news in the state and the nation. Please click the subscribe button so you won't miss any of them. And until next time, this is Bruce Maples, publisher of Forward Kentucky, saying so long.